Right. Open your Bible to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. Is that what your Sunday morning looks like before you get to church? (laughs) Galatians chapter 5. 14 and 15. Galatians 5, verse 14 says this. For all the law, this is our memory verse, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. Now, strong words. I want to talk to you about how to handle your others, okay? Now, most of us don't live totally alone. There are others in our lives. Uh, We have people that are other than ourselves that we interact with, that interrupt us. Uh, We have people other than our families, even. We have people other than our close friends, our co-workers. We have other people that we don't treat right that we actually treat like enemies. If we're not careful, we end up dividing, fighting, and devouring one another. Now, I have to say this. It is easy to love those that love you. Is that a true statement or not? Oh, boy. Scratch my back and I'll scratch your back. It is easy, it ought to be, to love the brethren. Not always, but it's easy enough, you know. It's possible to love your neighbor. People who live next to you, you come in contact with. You know, I find that people used to get along a whole lot better before TV and the Internet. Before smartphones, people actually paid attention to one another. Amen. Um, So loving your neighbor used to come a whole lot easier than it does today. Uh, It's even easy to love a stranger. Hey, you see somebody and and, uh, maybe they're on the side of, 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 uh, uh, of a walkway there, and they're begging, and you put a few euros in, you pass by. I loved my, you know, the stranger. Didn't know him from Adam, and I just showed kindness to him. It's actually easy, easy to do that because you never have to see him again. You never have to talk to him. You just come along and here. And, and, and we think that we've loved the stranger. Um, but it is the hardest to love your enemy. No doubt. Just take a step back and go, I'm going to be honest and say, this is where it don't work. Okay? And when Jesus says, love your enemy, he means it. (laughs) What is an enemy? An enemy is someone who hates you and wants to hurt you bad. That's an enemy. And yet those are the ones that are part of our others that we have to learn to, to love. Jesus spends a lot of time teaching his his followers how to handle the hardest to handle people. I I was talking to somebody yesterday, um, and kind of blew me away that he started talking to me. But um, uh, I was in the village, and this guy and I just started up a conversation and went right to the gospel, and it just flowed. It was excellent. But he was saying, I don't know if I understand this, and I don't know if I can believe that. And I said, look, 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 look. The Bible, God uses extremes. 
He doesn't talk about what's easy. He talks about what's hard because that gets our attention. That stretches us so that we understand how much we need him. Not that I can, not that I do things that I can do, but he is called upon to help me do what I must do. So God gives us extremes in the Bible. He doesn't just say, love those who love you. What thank have ye, Jesus said, if you love those who love you. But when you love your enemy, you realize just how much you need God to do that. Does that make sense? All right. So God shows us, or Jesus calls us to love the hardest to love people, our enemies. Now, Luke chapter 6 is where we're going to spend our time. Luke chapter 6. When we get there, we're going to pray. Luke chapter 6, when you found there, let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, one more time, we're grateful that we get to gather together. One of these days, we're going to gather together in heaven. Maybe today. Lord, I pray that while we're on this earth, we take a good look at our hearts and we let you examine our hearts and you change our hearts. Um, by showing us just how wrong we are. Lord, I pray you teach us this morning um, how to do the impossible. You did the impossible by loving your enemies. I pray that we would do the same. And I pray most of all it would change us enough so that we're more like Jesus. Some people in this room who need to see real Christianity, not churchianity, not religiosity. See a bunch of Christians who are not only able to love one another like we should, but love the impossible. I pray that you'd bless, Lord, as we gather around your word now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 6 and verse 19. I'm going to sort of start off here. And I want to talk about the effect of Jesus on people. Look at verse 19. And the whole multitude sought to touch Jesus. For there went out virtue of him, and he healed them. How many? All right. So virtue from Jesus means he had a strength. He had something that was internal that just be around him. All he had to do was speak the word, and somebody would be healed. If he reached over to a blind man and touched his eyes, he could see. Uh, Jesus didn't even have to be in the presence of somebody to heal them. There was just something about Jesus Christ that the Bible calls virtue, which is a strength that is invisible. All right? It's like electricity. You don't see electricity, but you see the effects of it. And the, 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 the power that Jesus had was good power. It was called virtue. He had this about him. And everybody wanted to touch him because of it. They wanted to be near him. It radically repaired people's lives, restored, broken physically and emotionally, spiritually, mentally. He healed them all. There was nobody that came, crawled, carried to Jesus that went away the same. Jesus has an effect on people. Still does, by the way. No wonder he drew the crowds. No wonder the, the, the multitudes just gathered around him. Now, there, was, there were benefits for following him. Look in verse 20. It goes on and it says, And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples. He sees them gathered there. And he said, Blessed be ye poor. Yours is the kingdom of God. We call these the Beatitudes, but look at how he talks. Verse 21, blessed are ye that hunger now, for ye shall be filled. Blessed 
Are ye that weep now? And notice the word now, because that's going to help us understand his point in a moment. For ye shall laugh. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you, and cast you out, cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice ye in that day, and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the like manner did their fathers under the prophets. Now look at the benefits. Jesus actually comes along and he says, all right, are you in poverty? Do you have nothing? Do you watch as other people seem to, 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 to figure out how to get ahead and they seem to get lucky and they seem to win the lottery or they, they get the good jobs or they, they, it's just nothing goes wrong in their life and they seem to be able to pay their bills. They seem to be able to get ahead in life and you're stuck not having two pennies to move together. You just feel poor and broken. What does Jesus say? Hmm. He asks, he says, are you hungry? Blessed are those that hunger. You say, haven't eaten in three days. Jesus knew how it felt. He actually had crowds around him, and for three days they didn't eat because they were just hanging on every word, and he says, we've got to feed them. So he talked to hungry people often. He talked, and that's why I like Jesus Christ. He didn't come out of the palace. He didn't come out of the, out of the, uh, uh, the, the, um, the political system didn't come out of the uh, the rich estates. Came out of a crib. He came out of a crib in a barn, and he talked to common poor people. And he talked to them. He says, "You poor?" And every one of them raised their hands. You know, <laughs> you hungry? Yeah, I'm starving, Lord. Some of you are weeping. He said, "Blessed are those of you who weep." I mean, there are people there that came. They crawled the distance. Just to get there to be with Jesus and the, and the tears still drying on their face, everything wrong at home, everything wrong with their health, everything wrong with their life, and they're sitting there with Jesus. And Jesus said, are you crying? Are you full of sorrow? Are you hated? Do people hate you? Wow. Do people run from you like you were the plague? Do people... People treat you with great disrespect and embarrass you and make fun of you. Well, he goes and he flips that and he says, you know what, if you're in poverty, one day you'll own the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now, where is that? It's not on earth. You see, there's a bunch of churches out there that are full this morning because they preach that you get heaven now. It's called prosperity gospel, and it is of the devil. Jesus is talking about future. He says, you in poverty, you may have to stay in poverty. But believe me, it won't last forever. You'll, you'll inherit the kingdom of God one day. You hungry? You'll be filled one day. And I mean, you'll be, you'll be in a place where you'll never hunger again. He says, you weeping? One day out in the future, you're going to laugh and laugh and rejoice and sing. You'll dance. You will not stop for at least 10,000 years. Amen. Now, the disciples got a taste of this because when they saw Jesus Christ carried away and put on a cross and left to die and then buried, how do you think they felt? They wept. Peter wept more than them all because he failed his Lord, his friend. There was Peter weeping, and three days later, you better believe Peter danced. You better believe Peter said, I'm on the right side for once. Amen. You hate it? Jesus says, there are great rewards for you. And he says, 
that they're not here now. Don't, don't, don't worry about getting all the rewards now. Because what we're looking at are promises that Jesus gave to his followers, his disciples. And then he goes on, he says, just make sure these are because of following Jesus. Look back again. Verse 21, he says, Blessed are ye that hunger now, for ye shall be filled. Blessed are ye that weep now, for ye shall laugh. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you, and cast out your name as evil. Watch the next words. For the Son of Man's sake, because you're walking with me. Make sure you're not in poverty because you're lazy. I've got no time. I don't care how many entitlements you're deserving. I don't care um, uh, what you're going through. But if you are in poverty and you won't work, I have no pity. Now, I understand well, when you go to a job and they find out you're a Christian and they pick the Muslim over you, I understand then. They pick, uh, some of you know that they pick the Irish over you. You know they do that. You know how it feels. Well, when they start doing it because you're a Christian, then you'll really know how it feels. Just make sure that all of these things, if they're in your life, make sure that they're because you're not obnoxious. It'd be awful, Brother Dan, if everybody just hated me. Just because I'm me. Amen? Oh, here comes Craig. Run! Yeah, I understand that. Make sure that people don't hate you because of you. Make sure they hate you, if they ever do, because you walk with Jesus, because you do things like Christ. Amen? Does that make sense? All right, so, First Peter chapter 4, we won't take the time. Peter said, you know, if you're in trouble as an evildoer, tough luck. But if you suffer as a Christian, then leap for joy. Amen. Amen. All right. Now, he gives some warnings in verse 24. Before we get to our main message here, he gives some warnings. He says, but woe unto you that are rich, for ye have already received your consolation. Verse 25, woe unto you that are full, for ye shall hunger. But woe unto you that laugh now, note that word again, now, for ye shall mourn and weep. Woe unto you, and all men shall speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. Hmm. There, he gives the same opposite. And he talks to a group of people, he talks to people and he says, you're living in a delusion. What is delusion? Delusion is when you live in your own world, in your own imagination, and not in reality. Isn't that where people live today? They live in front of the Xbox and they fight all the enemies They've got this new thing called virtual reality glasses. Have you seen them on people? You know, people didn't look stupid already. They look stupider now. You put this box on your face and you're going around like this. And people think it's life. It's not life. It's a delusion. They want to live in those scenarios. They don't want to live now. That's why people go to drugs. Because they can't stand now. So they try to live in a world in their mind. Don't you join them. Don't you join them. Because Jesus talks about living in delusion and he warns about. He says, you're rich. And, 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 and that's where your life is. You're deluded. Are you full? I mean, you just sit at the table and you eat until you can eat no more. I know you've never done that. Are you laughing and mocking at Christ and Christianity and church and the Bible? Is that how you live? I know a lot of people who do. You're seeking men's approval and praise. You stand up there and, and, and your life is lived according to how people 
appreciate you and love you and praise you. Jesus gives a warning. He says, if you're rich, if your riches are your life, if you believe that you, if you really believe that you don't need God, beware. Because you already have your comfort. And this is all you'll get. Somebody once said it this way. Don't be too discouraged when you don't have much in this life because this is all the hell you'll get. And don't be so discouraged and, and disappointed and depressed at all the wealth that others have because that's all the heaven they'll get. Does that make sense? So beware because you have all the comfort and that's all you'll ever get that your money can buy. Are you full? You have full fridges, full cupboards, full bellies? Beware, because one day you will hunger. You will thirst so bad you would give everything just to have one drop of water to cool your tongue. You're laughing and mocking. Our modern culture, they, you can't laugh at anything. I mean, you can't. You can't even. All you do is offend people. Who have I not offended yet? Honestly. Unless they're Christians. I mean, if you are a Bible believer, I mean, everybody feels very comfortable laughing and mocking at the name Jesus Christ. Why don't they use Muhammad's name? Hmm? Why don't they? Why, why don't people mock something else? I mean, mock your own mother. Mock, mock your brother. But do not mock the name Jesus Christ. But they feel very comfortable laughing and mocking and making fun of Jesus Christ. You're doing that? One day you'll end up being the one weeping and mourning, gnashing of teeth, the Bible says. You know what that is? Such pain you've never known. You seek men's approval and praise. Well, guess what? That's all you'll ever get. You'll get none from God. What a crazy set of warning. You know, I find that men's approval and men's praise is what drives most people's lives today. They're concerned about what people think about them. It stopped Pilate from being able to release an innocent man, didn't it? Because he was afraid a riot would break out. Remember that? He said, I find no fault in him. They said, crucify him. He said, why? What evil had he done? They cried out, crucify him more. And he says, I guess we got to crucify him. What was he worried about? He was worried about what the people would do. He wasn't worried about what was right. He wasn't worried about the law. He wasn't worried about justice. He's worried about people. I wonder how much we worry about people. I got, I lost three friends today <laughs> on Facebook. <laughs> You're in Luke. Hold your place. Go to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1. Look what it says. Jesus deals with this over and over about men's admiration. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1. Take heed that you do not your alms, your giving, before men. Now, are you supposed to give, yes or no? Yeah, you're supposed to tithe. Every believer is supposed to give. That's what, listen, God gave. How can I not want to be like him? So when I give, I don't stand up in front of the church and say, Pastor, I just want to present this 50-year-old note to the church and let everybody know that I'm giving it. That's not what you're supposed to do, is it? He says, take heed that you do not your alms before men, before their view, to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father, which is in heaven. You get nothing except what people think. Look at still in chapter 6, jump down to verse 5. 
and when thou prayest. Thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues, in the corners of the streets, that they may be what? Seen of men. Verily I say unto you, what have they got? They already have the reward. One more, down to verse 16. Moreover, when you fast, when's the last time you did that? Be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces. Can you imagine going to work with somebody who claims to be a Christian, claims to be religious, and they show up at work and they say something like this. You all right? Yeah. I'm just, I'm just hanging in there. Really? What are you, what's wrong? I'm fasting. You know what you got? Your reward. You're, and that's all you'll ever get. You get that point? Jesus says, don't live in the war in, in the world where you're thinking about what people think, where you're worried about what they think. Uh, go to Isaiah chapter 30. Isaiah chapter 30. You see, that's what, you know what it is like, you know, Brother Dan, you and I know about starting churches and starting with zero, and we work our way up. It's a whole different ball game when people start leaving, and you're less and less, and you start wondering, what am I doing wrong? Maybe if I just changed my style, Brother Dan. Maybe if I changed my music. Maybe if I, maybe if I dropped the suit and I wore a, a Hawaiian top, you know? <laughs> maybe if I grew a beard and tapered it and made it into one of these goatees. Maybe that'll get them. You see, when things don't work out, you know what you do? You adapt. Now, there's some adapting always to everything in life, but there is a, a terrible thing that happens in the human heart when things are going wrong. We throw away what's right so that we can still keep men and people looking at us well. Amen? And that's why you don't go to a church where everybody thinks well of you. All right? Somebody asked me back there, says, how you doing? I said, just better than I deserve. Oh, you deserve the best. And I went, no, I deserve dirt. And that's not a rebuke to that person. That's not the problem with that person. What's the reality is, I know who I am. And I know who you are too. We're just dirt, amen? So, he gives warnings about delusions. And Isaiah chapter uh, uh, 30. And the delusion is that ministers and religions and religious leaders will always, always be popular. False gospels will be popular. False prophets, false gods, false theologies will always get bigger crowds than a Bible believer in a Bible-leading church. It will always be true. Look at Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 9. God is speaking of Israel. He said, this is a rebellious people being children Immature children that will not hear the law of God, which say to the seers, the prophets, see not. Stop, stop seeing. <laughs> stop, stop, stop prophesying. And to the prophets, prophesy not unto us right things. Speak unto us what kind of things? Smooth things. Things that make us feel, things that go down smooth. When I was a kid, and many, I'm glad I grew up in a different age. Maybe Maybe you have no idea what I'm about to talk to you about. But you know, when I was a kid, mouthwash burned my mouth. When I was a kid, uh, medicine made me sicker 
Then I was sick. And that made me get well faster. Amen? Now today, there's nothing that doesn't have 47 teaspoons of sugar in it. Amen? Now, you can't tell somebody, you can't show them the truth. You're lost. You're on your way to hell without somebody trying to sue you. No, no, no. Let them, let them sue. The point is this. What does everybody want? Just say something smooth. Make me feel better. Verse 10 says this. Uh, and prophesy, last word, what is it? Verse 10, deceit. I don't care what you say, pastor. Just don't tell me the truth. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't go to that church. They, they, all they do is preach from the Bible. All they do. I thought that's what we were supposed to do. Mm, mm, mm. You know, this, if you look at John chapter 12, during Luke, go to the right, find John chapter 12. You may not realize it, but I'm giving you two messages in one this morning. <laughs> John chapter 12, we get to our main message in a moment. John chapter 12, verse 42. Do you realize if you live this way, it will stop you from ever living the Christ-like life? If you live worried about being accepted on the job, if you live being worried about being accepted at school, if you live being worried about being accepted by your family. And not that you on purpose are trying to be obnoxious. What do they call anybody that hands out a gospel tract? What do they call you? You Bible thumper. I didn't hit anybody. <laughs> but they, they immediately malign what you're trying to do. When all you're doing is just showing them the love of God. John chapter 12, verse 42 for they, oh, verse 42. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also, many believed on Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, because of the religious leaders, they did not confess him. They didn't openly say they believed. Lest they should be put out of the synagogue, keep going, for they, the believers, loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. They're worried about kick, being kicked out of their club or their church or their work or their family. You know, Jesus is very serious when he talks about a deluded life and he warns about it. He says, don't go down that path where you worry about seeking men's and woe unto you when all men speak well of you. Not that you want everybody to speak bad of you, but don't live for people and their praise. You know what happens? Most people, even Christians, sit quietly in churches, never taking a stand. Did you hear what I said? Most believers will gladly come to church and raise their voice barely above a whisper because they don't want to take a stand. They don't want anybody to find out that they go to that nut type of a church down there in Ballon College. They never take up their cross. They always worry about upsetting someone in the family, crossing the boss, or getting in trouble with schoolmates. And so, you know what? Today, Christianity is crippled and Islam is taking over. Do you see that problem there? Hmm. I think when you worry about people, it'll keep you out of heaven. I almost, <clears throat> for, for several weeks before I got saved, I remember sitting in church and the pastor pleading, saying, don't wait. Why not now? Don't wait. Come get saved. Don't go to hell for anybody. And I sat there and I said, yeah, but whew, I don't know what it's going to cost me. I don't know what I have to give up. I don't know what people are going to think of me. Isn't that weird? They'll send somebody to hell. Now, what have I showed you? 
One aspect is what you're going through right now. Maybe you're poor. Maybe you're hungry. Maybe everybody hates you for Christ. Maybe everything's going wrong in your life. One day it'll all go right. Amen? Hey, folks, if you're, everything's going well, money in the bank, everybody seems to love you, popular guy, one of these days everything's going to go wrong and it'll never, ever, ever get right after that in hell. So I'm going to talk to the Christians this morning for the most part. In the end, I'll talk to you who are still hanging over hell. But right now, what do you do before you get to heaven? How do you handle life and people, others, when you're poor, hungry, when you're hated, when you're weeping? That's what I want to talk about. What do we do until we get to heaven? Well, he gives some instructions. Look at Luke chapter 6 again, back to Luke chapter 6 and verse 20. Still going back to that verse, Luke 6 and verse 20. And he lifted up his eyes on his who? Who's he talking to? All right, so these are instructions to his disciples. Run down to verse 30, 27. Let's just read 27 to 35. We'll come back through it in a moment. But I say unto you, he goes on. He says, but I say unto you, which hear, which are listening, don't worry about your friends. Worry about who? He doesn't say run from them. What does he say do to them? Love your enemies. Wow. Do good to them which hate you. Bless them that curse you. And pray for them which despitefully... You ever felt used? Tony knows. Uh, we've, uh, we've had people come to church... I say, I'm having a bad way. I don't have I don't have any money. I don't have a place to stay. And so and, and, and I just reach in my pocket, take take money from I take money from Tony. <laughs> to, you know, gather up some money, give the guy money, and then we never see him again. How do you feel? Used? Yeah. Goes off to the next church, gets another pocket of money. Goes off to the next group, gets another what's he doing? Using. How do you feel? I'm okay. I'm okay. Those that despitefully use you, who am I going to talk about that in a minute? moment. Keep going. Uh, verse twenty nine. But under and unto him that smiteth thee on the on one cheek, offer also the other. Him that taketh away thy cloak. You ever seen these guys, these Jedi knights? What are they wearing? Cloaks. You know, get the hoods. All this stuff. Well, that's what people wore. It protected their head from the heat. It was made out of cotton uh, or a light material. Um, and um, But that was the outer jo- coat, cloak. He says, if he takes away thy cloak, forbid or not to take thy coat also. Give to every man that asketh of thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. Now, and as ye would that men should do to you, do you also to them likewise. For if you love them which love you, what thank have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. And if you do good to them which do good to you, what thank have ye? For sinners also do even the same. And if you lend to them, of whom ye hope to, to receive, what thank have ye? You lend them a hammer, you lend them your car, what do you normally expect? Them to return it. 
And if you know they're going to return it, well, thank have ye, for sinners also lend the sinners to receive as much again. But love ye your enemies and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the disciples, the children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Wow. Whew. All right. What's a disciple? A disciple is somebody who listens to and follows Jesus. I get no joy out of meeting somebody who calls himself a Christian. I have no delight or even respect for somebody who says, I'm a Christian, I'm following Jesus, and they don't read their Bible. And even worse, they don't obey it. You see, the people who are sitting there at Jesus' feet were listening so that they would do. And I hope that's why you came to church. I hope you came so you'd find out, what do I need to do now? How do I live more like Jesus? How do I do this thing called the Christian life? Because that's what a disciple is. We sit and we listen to do. That's what a disciple is, as we follow this one man named Jesus. Um, Do you have any enemies? (laughs) Verse 22, he goes, Blessed are ye when men shall hate you. (laughs) Do you anybody that hates you? You know what? If you're a real disciple, you'll have some enemies. Think about it. If people hated Jesus, and boy, did they hate him. I mean, they didn't cry out away with him. They didn't stop there. What did they cry out? Crucify him. They spit at him. They mocked him. They blamed him. They abandoned him. You know, if they hated Jesus, how do you escape? How do you expect to escape the same attitude and possible treatment of you? Look at Luke chapter 21. You're in Luke. Go to Luke chapter 21 and verse 17. We'll come back to 6 in a moment. Luke 21, 17. Luke 21, 17. And I believe it's demonic. It's not that you are doing anything that causes people to hate you. There's just something in you, someone in you, that... The spirit in them cannot tolerate to be near. Look at verse 21. Is that verse 17? And ye shall be hated of all men for whose sake? All right. I mean, we can go through. I've got plenty of uh, chapters and verses there where Jesus said, if they hate me, they're going to hate you. They're going to call you every filthy word they can think of. They're going to try to run you out of your home, try to run you out of your neighborhood, try to shut down your business like they're trying to shut down Ashley's Bakery up there in Northern Ireland. There's a little little bitty bakery over in America in a little state in a state called Oregon called uh, Sweet Cakes. And the entire nation of America went against them because they said, listen, there's another company over there. We don't decorate, we don't create uh, cakes for non-married couples. They were very kind, very very gentle, and it's not that they wouldn't sell them a cake, they weren't going to create a cake, just like Ashley's Bakery. And the entire nation was against them. Yeah. If If you just want to make money, you know what you do? You just go with the flow. You just sell whatever wants, you know? But if you have a Christian character, if you have Christian morals, you have Christian limits, there are going to come some times where two guys come in and they want you to take a picture of them kissing. They want to take want you to take a picture of them hugging and groping 
and, and make it so they can make an album of, of their trip together and you're going to have to say, sorry, can't do it. And then you're in court. Say, well, I won't do that. I'm just telling you, if they did it to Christ, and if you're going to be a disciple, they'll do it to you. What are you doing, pastor? Preparing you. <laughs> I'm preparing you. They'll try to get you fired. They'll make up stuff about you. When I worked for the telephone company, I had a guy who made up stuff, actually said some awful things trying to, trying to get me so that he could take my job. You know how he thought he could do that? Because he knew I was a Christian. He knew I had an open Bible on my desk. He knew how I invited people to sit down and talk about the Bible. I was openly a Christian on the job. I actually one time had a had some tracks in my pocket, and uh, I would always put the tracks. I'm sorry, ladies, don't be offended, but I put them in the bathroom stall. I put them behind the roll of toilet paper. I just stood them in there, and so that had to get into your mind. But just get an idea. I'm there. My boss, Carell Ehrlich, standing there. He runs into me. We're, we're, we're passing each other. He says, oh, have you got pictures? Because I just had, uh, well, Nina just had Ruth. <laughs> and so I was all talking about baby Ruth, baby Ruth, baby Ruth. And so he saw my pocket, and he saw something look like pictures. He said, oh, have you got pictures of the baby? And I said, no, it's even better. And I hand him a gospel back. He said, oh, no, bathroom literature. Yeah, amen. It means he read it. Amen. <laughs> what am I getting at? This guy tried to get me fired because he knew surely it'd be easy to pick on this Christian and say that he's going around proselytizing, which I was. Of course I am. I never did it on the job. Never did it when I was being paid. But while I was eating my lunch or when it was after hours, I talked for days with people. But he tried to say that I was proselytizing while I was working and all this stupid stuff. Don't make it up. Don't make it up. Do you have any enemies yet? He said, no, everybody loves me. Whoa, under you. <laughs> Beware. The moment you got saved, you made some enemies, folks. You switched sides. You changed religions. You became a religious nut. Hallelujah. But for the first time in your life, you're screwed on the right bolt. Amen. Now, look at Jesus' one basic life principle. I mean, all other principles aside, look at chapter 6 and verse 31. Luke 6, 31. And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. What do we call that? You might know what that's, that is called? The golden rule. The best way to live. Treat people like you want them to treat you. Don't treat them how they treat you. What did we just talk about in our enemies? How do they treat us? Don't treat them the same way. Do we see that? You see the context of that thing? What a hard thing to ask of us. People can talk as long as the day is long about how badly they've been treated. You know what? Jesus wouldn't give you a second thought. Instead, he overruled all of our bad treatment. He says, treat them better. Do you find that easy? Hmm? I don't. Say, Pastor, I thought you were saved. Well, not all of me is saved. <laughs> There's a part of me, it's called the old man, that's very much alive that i got to mortify several times a day. Amen? 
So Jesus doesn't just say, treat others as you want them to treat you. He actually, as it gives us one basic principle, uh, he actually gives us eight specific commands on how not to treat our enemy. Are you ready for this? Let's look at verse 27 again. Verse 27 in chapter 6, he says, But I say unto you, no matter how they treated you, love them back. Love your enemies. Now, when you, when you hear that, what does that mean? Well, according to Jesus, that's the highest command. The greatest thing you can ever do is love someone. Not hate them, <laughs> but love them. Not tolerate them either. I, 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 I tolerate Celine. You can't, that's not love, is it? He says, love them. Love them like Christ loved you. Love them like you want them to love you. I don't know if that's even, I don't know if that's even comprehensible. By the way, we're not talking about tolerating their sin. Somebody in sin, somebody in jail because of some crime, I don't go to the jail like some of these people who are absolutely the most pitiful people in the world. And they go, we just have to love them. Yeah, you need to love them, but I don't tolerate their sin. They ought to be in jail. Amen. Do you understand? There are things that are wrong. And just because I don't approve of how you live doesn't mean I hate you. Amen. There are plenty of homosexuals who think that a Bible believer hates them. Now, there are some nuts out there that don't love anybody, but they're not saved. A real Christian learns to love. Amen? But I don't love what you do when it's wrong. Just like I don't love what I do when it's wrong. Amen, amen, and amen. So love our enemies doesn't mean that you love what they do or that you tolerate their sin, but you do love them. By the way, if Christ commands us, I think he'll enable us to love our enemies. Secondly, he says, do good to them. Verse 27 goes on. He says, love your enemies, do good to them, that hate you. Don't treat them in kind. I'm prone. If I had Dan up here and I punched him, you know what he'd do? He'd get his wife to punch me. No. Uh, <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's this automatic reaction that what you do to me, I'm going to do right back to you. Is that true? Don't just look at me like I'm the only weirdo here. You know that's how we all... Uh, somebody says something and, and it bites you. Somebody stabs you and you stab back. Amen? Amen. Jesus says, do good. Treat them like Christ does. You know, Jesus, well, Paul says this in Romans chapter 12. If your enemy hungers or thirsts, feed them. I want them to starve. That's hard. I don't want to help somebody who's hurting me. I want them to hurt. Then he says something even worse. Verse 28. Bless them. That curse. He's picking the opposite of whatever they may be doing to you. Bless them to curse you. You know what it means to bless? It means to benefit them. Do something for them without them even asking or needing. If you do good to somebody, you're doing, you're meeting a need. Say, say you're, you're driving along and your neighbor there that never has anything nice to say about you has always hated the fact that you moved in next to them, built this high wall between you and them, and always, always, always finds fault with your trees hanging over his garden Everything about you they hate. There you are driving along, and your neighbor's got a flat tire. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Right? Bad boy. To do good means to pull over. How you doing, Sean? Sean. How you doing, Sean? Can I help you? No, no. Listen, let me help you. Let me help you. You're going to be here for hours. Nobody's going to pull over. And you do it. Amen. That's doing good to them. But to bless them is to do something for them when they don't need it. 
to benefit them. It's called a random act of kindness. Will you leave them better off? I don't do this very well. Can I have confession now? <laughs> I have a sense of balance, and I have a need for justice. Amen? Somebody does something wrong, I want them to pay. Don't look at me like I'm the only one either. <laughs> yeah, because you are looking at me. <laughs> Jesus, the very Son of God, teaches us. He actually commands us to bless our enemies. Are you still listening? Remember that verse in there? It says, he's spoken to them that heard. I bet some of them switched off, like some of you are. (laughs) You sure you still want to be his disciple? Hey, Lord, I thought we were going to be kings and priests. I thought we were going to have better houses. I thought my wife was always going to love me. I thought my kids would always obey. I thought everything would be perfect when I got saved. No, no, no. One day it will be. One day it will be. But until then, what do you do? You love your enemies. For it is the fulfilling of all the law. Hmm. Verse 28. Look at verse 28. Bless them that curse you and Pray for them which despitefully use you. You know, prayer sounds easy enough. You know, if I said, Brother Dan came to me and he says, you know what, I've got, I've got this problem. I've got somebody who, who, who um, uh, just aggravates me and just rubs me the wrong way. And I say, is that your wife? He says, no, 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 no. She, she I got over with a long time ago. I'm talking about something that just every day they send me obnoxious texts. And they just, they just get me going, and I get oh so upset, and I say, well, pray for him, brother. Now, doesn't that sound easy? Oh, yeah, I'll pray for him. God, kill them. <laughs> I prayed for him, pastor. Lord, you are the Lord of vengeance. Do it now. <laughs> That's how you'd pray, but no. You know, what would your prayer be like if you actually prayed for your enemies? It would be, Lord, please be good to them. Dear God, please take care of them. Have mercy on them. Spare them from the consequences of their sins like you've spared me. You know, to take the time to pray for your enemy like you pray for your family, you know what that does? It does two things. One is it changes you. Because if you don't do it, you are going to be one bitter person. Secondly, if you don't do it, they'll never be freed from a demonic bondage that is there that is only broken by prayer. If you have an enemy, you know what your enemy is? In bondage. If they hate you because you're a Christian, it's not them that hate you, it's a spirit in them. And the only way to break that spirit is by doing these things, but the most important thing to do is pray for them because that breaks the power that's over them. And if you're not willing to do it, then you don't love them. Verse 29, it gets even worse. I think the Lord builds and builds. He says, verse 29, he said unto them, and unto him that smited thee on the one cheek, offer also the other. When was the last time you did that? Come on. Not one of us. You know what? You know what that? You know what Jesus is saying? Let your enemy hurt you. Go to James chapter five. 
James chapter 5. There is something about Christianity. Now, there are some people who call this passivism, and it's not at all. Passivism won't fight at all. Passivism will let their wife be raped and stolen, let their kids, let their let let everything fall to pieces around them, and they'll sit there and go, no, Jesus said, love everybody. No, that's, the Bible is not pacifistic. But when it comes to you, let it slide. Don't fight back. Go to James chapter 5 and verse 6. Hebrews, James, I can get there. James chapter 5 and verse 6 says this. And he's speaking to rich people who take advantage of people, who are abusing people. In verse 6 he says, Ye rich have condemned and killed the just, the forgiven, the, the saints, the Christians, and he doth not resist you. So when your boss fires you, don't take him to court. Not unless it's extenuating circumstances. When a, when a co-worker is saying bad things about you, let it roll. You going to find that easy? No. But we do it. Let them hurt you. Let them strike you even. You know, once somebody, maybe they're upset, maybe they're angry. Now, I'm talking way out of the norm of Christianity, Western civilization. You know, real Christianity usually doesn't exist in the Western world. Real Christianity exists in the backwoods of Central Africa and, and uh, Indonesia and the poor and among the, the trouble. They know about this stuff, and they've learned to roll with the abuse and love their enemies. We haven't. So Jesus says, if they strike you, stay in standing. Don't fight them back. I, I think he said both cheeks because after they try to aggravate you and after they try to hurt you twice, they go, it's not worth it. You're not worth it. And they go on. They move on. But if they can get you to fight them, they've won. principle is don't fight over personal attacks. Jesus didn't, did he? Didn't fight. But he did fight, and he did stand his ground when others were being abused. He stood up to those Pharisees, and he called them some of the most, most hell, hellish names. He says, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites! You abuse the poor, you abuse these people, and I'm telling you what, he stood his ground. Amen. When they made fun of him, didn't say a word. You see the point? He overturned those tables. He brought out that whip, cracked that whip over the money changers' heads, and he says, you've made my father's house a den of thieves. What's he doing? He's standing up for something that's right. He didn't stand up for himself. So you love your enemies, even when they hurt you, physically, emotionally, spiritually, any way they want to do it. Wow. But if somebody else is being hurt, Fifteen hundred of us should tackle them. Amen. Amen. Verse twenty nine goes on. He says, "Unto him that sitteth, smiteth thee on the on the one cheek, offer also the other. And him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also." I don't know. We're very we're very object oriented. We're very materialistic. Somebody takes some, it's thievery. I'm not going to stand for it. They stole from me. Yeah, I know. But if they steal for you, from you because you're a Christian, just to find out how saved you are, I think they will. <laughs> I think they'll find out. You know, if somebody commands you, uh, 
Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, I'm talking to you about something that Jesus taught, not that I've perfected. Are you with me? All right. But if I'm going to love others, I've got to love even the hard ones. So somebody comes along, and, it, and Jesus gives the illustration. He says, if a man compels thee to go a mile, go with him how far? Now, he's not talking about, go with him twain, go with him two miles. He's not talking about compelling you to have a cup of coffee with him. This was the situation in the days of the Roman soldiers. They would come along, and they would see a guy, and maybe his family or whatever. He'd see a man. He'd be carrying his pack. By law, he had the right to look at any normal citizen, take off his his pack that had all of his belongings, his tent, his sleeping bag, his extra spare shoes, all of his um, um, uh, toiletries, had everything that was his life was on his back, and he would hand it off and say, here, you carry that for a while. And he had to go and walk a Roman mile, and then that Roman soldier had to say, all right, we've walked a mile, I'll take it back. But the thing that changed Rome and to change the Roman Empire was whenever they came to a Christian, they said, here, and the Christian put that pack, all oh, 50, 60 pounds of it, on their back, and they walked that mile. And when the Roman soldier says, all right, give it back, and that Christian says, no, let's go again. Let's go another mile. It broke down those Roman soldiers. They'd never seen anything like it. What got the normal Joe Soap to want to go the second mile? Because Jesus said, do it. And it transformed the Roman Empire. As a matter of fact, by the time several of the most awful persecutions were going on in, 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 in the Roman Empire, the atrocities against Christians and the murder rate so high, there were two of the most, most evil uh, Caesars and emperors of Rome who were constantly confronted by their counselors saying, why are you so against the Christians? They are your best population. They pray for you. They want peace in your empire. They don't break the law. Their children grow up and they are willing to fight to defend Rome. Why are you so angry? And those two would say, I have no idea why, but they've all got to die. And it took until a guy named Constantine, who's not our friend, by the way. Constantine had well over half of his empire, the Roman Empire, were Christian and no longer pagan. You know what he said? Well, if you can't beat them, join them. <laughs> and he took over. How did the Roman Empire get changed? Not just through preaching the truth, but by loving their enemies. I want to be there. I want to have that kind of heart where when people take advantage of you, you do not resist them. Verse 30 goes on. He says, give to every man that asketh of thee. Give. Give to every man that asketh thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods. Ask them not again. I don't like that. Just give stuff away. Hey, folks, if you're not learning to give as a Christian, you're never going to be able to love your enemy because your enemy is going to take and take and take. And if you haven't learned how to give, you're going to hate and hate and hate. Amen? If there's anything I would like this church to be besides just a Bible-reading, Bible-believing, Bible-living Christian, it's to be giving Christians. We just give and give and give and give. I'm supposed to work for a living. But work so you have stuff to give away. You know, if anybody ever takes 
take stuff from you. They can't take the best stuff. Amen? I'm talking about the future. I don't know how long we've got here before things go really south. But I want to be Christian. And if I want to love others, I've got to be able to love the ones that are the hardest to love. Last one, even lend to them. Verse 35, jump down to verse 35. He says, he repeats and he goes on, but love your enemies and also, and do good. And he uses the word lend. Hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great. And ye shall be the children of the highest. You'll be just, you'll be saved. You'll be like a Christian. For he, God, is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. And so should we. So, that's how I feel. <laughs> I'm just like, what? Mm. When, it, when it comes to these things, these are the ways that you love your others. Remember Galatians 5.14 says, I've tried to memorize it, I haven't got it yet, hold on. Go to Galatians 5.14, I thought I had it memorized. Our memory verse for the month. Galatians 5.14. And for all the laws fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now, it's easy to do this when somebody already loves you. It's easy enough to do to passing strangers, but Jesus teaches us from the extreme. He commands us to love even our enemies. Now, I have to say this. By loving your enemy, by doing good to them, does not guarantee you're going to change your enemy. I believe these are the best ways to change them. But there's no guarantee to fix your husband, your wife, your neighbors, anybody. I found that your enemies probably will still love you after they've taken advantage of you and you've prayed for them and loved them back. They still will hate you. I said, I didn't hate you. Like they did Jesus. How kind was Jesus to everybody? Pretty kind, wasn't he? And still ended up hating him. So don't get this, Pastor, if I just love my enemy, yeah, I know, I know. It's the best way to treat them. But I do it not because I get, I do it not because it's guaranteed. I do it because he commanded. And it actually saves me a whole lot of heartache. All I know is, they change us. Now, why do we endeavor to love our enemies? Three reasons. Wrapping this up. First of all, because we've been loved by God. And we are taught of God to love not only one another, but to love our enemies. If he didn't put it in there, I wouldn't say it. But if it's in there, guess what we have to do? We have to do it. Whew. Second reason why we have to endeavor to love our enemies is because God is our Father and he commands us to love. I've been loved by God. I've been taught. And then he says, whether you get it or not, whether you like it or not, whether you understand it or not, whether you, you can do it or not, you do it anyway. And the third reason why we endeavor to love our enemies is because otherwise Satan has an advantage over us. It's a wrestling term. And if you've ever seen two people wrestle, I'm not talking about boxing or jujitsu. I'm talking about wrestling with these two people. And it's freaking out that so many girls are into wrestling these days. I don't understand. Don't marry a wrestler, guys, okay? <laughs> anyway, um, uh, when you see two guys wrestling there, there is such an effort to get what's called the upper hand, to get them off balance so that you can pin them down and win. What's the devil trying to do? He's trying to get us off balance so that we can't stand, so that we don't have direction, so that we 
are not doing what we're supposed to do, he gets us in a in a hand lock, a headlock, uh, arm lock there, and he has the advantage. When? When we disobey this. When we decide that my heart is off limits, nobody's going to hurt me, and I'm telling you, you will have listened to an hour of me begging you to take seriousness, and in 30 seconds after church, somebody will offend you. And you'll be upset, and you won't talk to him for days. I just wonder, Lord, why am I doing this? Why am I talking when nobody's going to take this? I'm serious. The moment that that hurt takes up residence in your life and you try to hurt back, Satan has you in a headlock and he's got you on the ground and he's going <laughs> to God. Because he has the advantage. Some concluding thoughts. Here's your checklist. You ready? I wonder if you could do this for a week and just say, all right, I've got... Today I dealt with such and such. Good. Did you love them? Like you love yourself? Did you do anything good for them? Did you actually benefit them and be a blessing to them? Did you actually go away and get on your face for God and pray for them, not against them? (laughs) Did you keep your mouth shut and let them hurt you? Ow. Ow. I want to let them know they're hurting me. Did you let them take advantage of you? Did you actually give when they tried to take something from you or they asked something and you knew you're never going to get it back? Hmm? That's our daily checklist. How am I going to do it, Pastor? I know why I should do it. I know what I'm supposed to do. How do I do it? Here you go. You ready? Here's the answers to how to do it. Number one, become a disciple. Who was Jesus talking to? He wasn't talking to normal Joe Soap walking on the street. He talked to his disciples, the ones who were following him, because he'll help you. That's why you get born again. That's why you get saved. You say, I, 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 I followed um, uh, Oprah Winfrey, and I, I followed Dr. Phil, and I followed Vincent Brown, and I followed so on the, all these different people. You need to follow Jesus Christ. Because only he can make that kind of a person out of you. Become a follower of Jesus Christ. A disciple of him. Hmm. Work on your focus. What are your eyes constantly focused on? Disney? Is everything coming into your head visual these days? You're sitting there watching YouTube, Netflix, um, uh, everything on, on the Sky movies and... Is that all? You're never going to be able to focus on Jesus Christ. You'll never be able to love your enemy. Amen. Change your focus. You might ought to fast for a week or two or three from that television, from the internet, from the videos. Just get alone with the Bible and listen to Jesus Christ. I've been finishing a um, a project I do for years. It's the Irish Bible Republication Project. Sounds cool, doesn't it? But we've we've transcribed the old Irish Bible from 1648, digitized it, made it all in a Word document. I had the time of my life making the words of Jesus in the Irish red. In the old Bibles, they didn't have the red letter edition. So I was moving across. I had parallel, King James and Irish on the other side. And what words of Jesus were on one side in red, I then made in red in the Irish. I can't read Irish, so I'm just, just moving it across and just highlighting what's highlighted in 
English. Now, what did I see? I saw so much of what Jesus taught in such a way I've never seen before. And I sat back there and I said, just looking at what Jesus said without studying and without looking for anything, I just let him speak to me as I went line by line. And, and not that I learned anything of the Irish, but as I focused on the words of Jesus and read, it humbled me. It spoke to me like never before. I enjoyed it thoroughly. You know, I got a, a renewed focus on, you know what? I need to do what he says. Never a man speaks like Jesus spoke. So work on your focus. Thirdly, treat people like you want them to treat you. How am I going to love my enemy? Treat them not as they treat you, but treat them like you want them to treat you. That's kind of basic. I like it simple like that. Makes me compare what do I want for them? What I'd like for them to want for me. How, how can I let them take? How can I let them abuse and let them hurt if I'm not willing to let go and give? Start to be a giver. Stingy people, stingy people never give to anybody, least of all to their enemies. They keep lists of people who've hurt them. And they never can be friends with anybody like that. So be a giver already. Mortify your pride. Mortify means kill it off, strangle it, let it die. And when I talk about your pride, and, and this is where I live, somebody hurts me, you know what rises up in my life? My pride. Let it die. Because that pride is going to keep me from ever being able to love the person that's hurting. And then, you know who I'm serving? I'm not serving my enemy. I'm not even do anything for myself. You know who I'm doing it for? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Does this really work? I wish I could tell you the history of the church. I've already told you some things, but the greatest Christians were not warriors. They were not generals. They were not wealthy men or women. They were prayer warriors. They were compassionate. They were The greatest Christians were self-sacrificing, and they were the happiest of all, even to their death. Atheists have caused more wars and killed more people in history than anybody else. But the religious have also had their fair share of fighting and killing. And I believe this generation that we live in today has never seen this kind of love in action. It's a love that's not religious or even rational, but it is so real and so transforming that enemies give up trying to quench it, give up trying to defeat it. It's there for you, Christian. If you imagine, what effect has Jesus had on you? Has he, has he healed your home? Has he healed your life? Has he healed your heart? Has he given you back your sane mind? Has he put your life back together where you have purpose and meaning in your life? If he has, if he's had that kind of effect, you have no excuse. Let me show you one more verse where I'll be out of here. Romans chapter 5. Because not only is it there for the Christian, it's also there for you, dear enemy of God. Romans chapter 5 and verse 10. Romans chapter 5 and verse 10. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, well, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Was there a time in your life where you were an enemy? 
Yeah, I was. But there's some people in this room who come to church, praise God, visit. Hallelujah, glad you're here. But until you're saved, you are an enemy of God, and God loves his enemies. Doesn't want to judge you. Would like to save you. Would you let him save you today? 35, 36 years ago, I made the choice. I chose Jesus Christ. Never regret it. It's impossible to regret such a relationship. How can you regret falling in love with a perfect person who loves you unconditionally? How can you regret it? It's there for you too. Let's stand. Let's bow in prayer. If you have bowed, Father, I ask that um, in this room this morning, a very hard message has been preached, hard to preach. I think we forget um, a lot of the Bible is not smooth. How do we how do we take this thing, God? How do we walk out of here and say this is big enough, important enough, urgent enough that we actually start to obey it? How how, how does that happen? Lord, only you can stir hearts right now. Only you can can prick our hearts and show us just how wrong we've been. We can't even talk about how wrong others have been to us. And they have been. It is wrong. But what about our wrong? I pray you forgive me. I pray you forgive us all. Lord, that we would, this month and for the rest of our life, we love others, even the hard others. Let somebody in this room realize that they are in the wrong place spiritually. As an enemy of God, All they have right now, all the best that they will ever have is right here. One day they will weep. One day they will hunger and thirst. One day they will be lost forever. They need to get saved today. They need to see that this thing for Christianity is not a a religious thing. It is eternal life. It is found in Jesus Christ. Only he could talk like this, and only he can change an enemy into family. So, Lord, I just, I just thank you for your word and this challenge. I pray that we actually take it and live it in Jesus' name. Amen.